Welcome to the study of God's Word recorded live at Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media or to tune into our live stream services, visit us online at calvaryco.church or download our free Calvary Church app. Now let's open our Bibles and study God's Word. Good morning. Honored to be with you today. So thankful for uh, the chance to um, teach this morning and uh, just be connected to Calvary Church here in Aurora. Um, pastor Ed is, uh, he's like a pastor's pastor. He's always um, like randomly texting me uh, just at, at different seasons and different times of the year. And how you doing? What's going on? Are you doing okay? And pray for you. I just so, so appreciate that. And uh, so thankful for what the Lord's doing here, and I feel honored to be here with you guys today. So um, if you have your Bible, we're going to be looking at 1 Peter. We're going to start with 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, um, and we will get to that in a few minutes. i just kind of start with our intro here this morning, but um, I'm going to specifically be, be uh, focusing on a sacrifice of praise uh, being a worship leader, I'm sure you're probably not all that surprised that I'm going to talk about praise this morning, but it's something that I'm, I'm excited about, passionate about, and love to talk about. So um, God's people have always been a singing people. If you think back in history and you look back in biblically, uh, the people of God have always been marked by song and singing. Um, some of the oldest recorded history in the Bible uh, just think about the Old Testament, even to 2,000 years ago, to even more recent church history, God's people have always been a singing people. So when it comes to our modern gatherings, music and singing have historically taken a significant role in our gatherings. And why? We're going to explore that question tonight. We're going to talk about that a little bit, talk about the value of it and why we do that. Um, but before we do that, real quickly, I just want to point out as well that the difference between what we would kind of commonly call praise and worship, my, uh, my younger years growing up being a musician and being around church ministry and leading worship uh, in teams, we would always, they would always talk about like, okay, that's a praise song because it's a fast song, and that's a worship song because it's a slow song. That was like the two categories. You had praise and worship. Praise is fast and worship is slow. But as we, you know, as you study the Bible, as you grow in your faith and you kind of under, understand a bit more, you realize that it's a lot deeper than that. It's a lot richer than that. There's so much uh, to that. So um, a friend of mine once said, what we often call worship, the Bible calls praise. So uh, when we come together and we, you know, obviously praise is a big part of our worship. It's a big part of our responding to the grace of God. But, but big picture speaking, uh, worship is a broader, is, is a bigger word with a broader meaning. So when you come to faith in Jesus Christ and you become a believer, a Christian, a part of the family of God, you are a worshiper of God. And that kind of affects every area of your life. In fact, when Jesus in John 4 was talking about worship, he kind of defined it with two significant words. He says, true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. There's really no mention of music or songs or, or singing at that point, but he, he defines it as in spirit and in truth, which is kind of interesting. Most commentators look at that word spirit and, and relate it to the fact that a true worshiper must be born again by the Spirit of God for the worship to actually be uh, real and authentic. You have to be born again by the Spirit of God to have 
uh, to be a part of God's family. And when the Holy Spirit takes residence in you, what was dead to God, we were dead to God, it says in, in Ephesians chapter two, we were dead and now we've been made alive. And when you've been made alive by the Spirit of God, now we have a relationship with God and we become worshipers of God. So that's what spirit would be relating to. Truth could be um, defined as hiding nothing. No longer trying to hide from God or pretend, from, pretend uh, uh, with God, but we're open and honest and being you know, vulnerable with the Lord. He was speaking to this woman at the well who had five husbands. She was living with the guy that wasn't her husband. I'm sure in some ways that was, you know, she was hiding in a sense. So Jesus was like, hey, I know everything about you and I still love you. And so she was blown away at this knowledge that Jesus had, this love that he had for her. And that's really uh, what was turning her life around is this, this, you know, man who is God in the flesh was speaking love and truth to her and she was born again by the Spirit of God. So, so this picture in John 4 is almost the same picture in John 3 where Jesus tells Nicodemus, you must be born again. So that's a little background. So worship is really the life of the believer. So as we gather together, like on a Sunday morning, we come together to worship God. We worship God in our praising God. We worship God in our giving of the resources. We worship God in surrendering to his will and his word. We worship God in serving and loving each other and fellowship and caring for one another. And we're sent out to live this life of worship in our communities and our families and our vocations and where God has placed us. That's the picture of the life of worship. So as we focus specifically on the subject of praise today, we will see that it's a significant and important part of our worship, but it is, again, a part of it. So, <clears throat> speaking of praise, did you know there's at least 185 songs in the Bible? 150 of those are found in the book of Psalms, the longest song recorded is Psalm 119. In fact, just to read it here uh, today would probably take the entire uh, service. It's about 1,700 words. Um, and the shortest song in the Bible recorded is seven words in song, uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 5. So Psalms were really, were really the Old Testament hymnal. They're filled with many encouragements for us to actually sing our praise. But what's interesting about Psalms is scripture really in many ways speaks to us, but Psalms speak for us. In fact, they give us language that we can speak back to the Lord of praise, of thanksgiving, of, of lament, going through difficult seasons in life. We, we have language in the Psalms that help us lament and, and honest prayers of David. And, and a lot of times songs really turn into prayers. They're, they're an opportunity for us to pray these things in. And so if you're rejoicing or you're suffering or you're hurting, um, lamenting, the Psalms speak for us and help us in those unique times of life. Uh, David, King David, a man after God's own heart, a worshiper, wrote a majority of them. In fact, um, in 1 Chronicles, we find David making musical instruments specifically made for praise. So in 1 Chronicles 23, it says 4,000 Praise the Lord with musical instruments, which I made, said David, for giving of praise. David loved the Lord. He loved to praise the Lord. He was a musician himself, and he would go so far as even like engineering instruments that could be used uh, to that end. Later on in 1 Chronicles 25, David would appoint three men 
to oversee what could be described as like a school of worship. Um, this, these three men, Asaph, Heman, and Jeduthun, says that they were all under the direction of their father for the music in the house of the Lord with cymbals, stringed instruments, and harps for the service of the house of God. Asaph, Jeduthun, and Heman were under the authority of the king. So the number of them with their brethren who were instructed in the songs of the Lord, all who were skillful was 288. They cast lots for their duty, the small as well as the great, the teacher with the student. So they were training the young ones coming up in the songs of the Lord, and they would kind of divide and go back to the 12 tribes, teach them those songs. So when they would come together, they would all know these, these songs, and um, they would sing them together. It's pretty, pretty fascinating to me. So now, fast forward to the New Testament. We have Jesus singing a hymn with the disciples right before he would go to the cross there. In Mark 14, it says, when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives um, with Jesus. So I wonder what that hymn was. I think in eternity we'll find out what that song was. The early church was marked by singing. In Luke uh, 24, it says that it came to pass that he blessed them. He was carried up into heaven, and they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. So the early church, they were continually praising and blessing God. Acts, you have Paul and Silas singing praises in prison with the others that were jailed there as well. Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3 were encouraged and instructed to be filled with the Spirit. And part of being filled with the Spirit is singing to one another in uh, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs making melody in our heart to the Lord. So just an overflow of being filled with the Spirit is, man, music and songs and singing back to the Lord, His praise is part of that. And then you go all the way to the end of the Bible there in Revelation 5, and the whole assembly of the saints, every tribe, tongue, nation, and people are singing a new song to God and the Lamb on the throne. The words are, worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God, for every tribe, language, and people, and nation. You have made them a kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. This new song they would sing there. So we get a picture of eternity. Eternity is going to be marked by praise. Um, in fact, eternity is going to be marked by discovery. You think of, you know, oftentimes we, we see these pictures of heaven and these little kind of uh, naked babies on a cloud with a harp, you know, and I don't know what you think about when you think of heaven, but some people think, oh, it's going to be boring. What are we going to do in heaven? But you think about um, the reality that God created the world in, in seven days with all its beauty and intricacy and, and just, you know, wonder. I love coming to Colorado just uh, the last number of years. I've had a chance to do some uh, skiing in the local mountains, and it is absolutely stunning. We don't have really mountains like that in California. Um, and it's just incredible. We just uh, so enjoy it. But you look at that beauty, and it just, to me, it just brings glory to God and, and the way that He created. But we have these little glimpses, like in Ephesians, it says that in the ages to come, He's going to show His exceeding riches of His grace and His kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. In the ages to come, like the eons to come. So I think eternity is going to be marked by discovery. We're going to be discovering more of the beauty of God. And the wonder of him, we're going to be in awe of him on a continual basis. We're going to be in awe of what he's made and, and what eternity looks like. Jesus said, I'm going to go, I'm going away. I'm going to prepare a place for you so that where I am, you can come. 
So eternity is going to be marked by discovery, which will be marked by wonder, which will turn into worship even more. We're going to be in awe that God created what he created, and we're going to get to know him better. And for eternity, it's going to be marked by discovery. So we can also look back at recent church history, and I love this. Some of the, uh, the recent composers and spiritual leaders of generations before us saw this deep value of music and praise that would be to the glory of God. I think of Martin Luther, the great reformer. He said this, music is one of God's greatest gifts. It's often so stimulated me that I felt the desire to preach. He said, I place music next to theology and I give it the highest praise. He wrote a hymn, um, a number of them, but one of the more famous ones, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. He said, the gift of language combined with the gift of song was given to man that he should proclaim the word of God in music. So good. One of my favorite is um, Johann Sebastian Bach. Um, Back in 1685, he lived to 1750. Um, In a book on spiritual lives of great composers, the author said this, Bach was a devout believer, and Bach sought spiritual connections between his faith and his art. He would announce that his ultimate purpose in life was to create well-regulated church music to the glory of God. Um, Bach grew up in Germany under the Lutheran tradition that had been emphasized, that emphasized having a living, personal, Bible-based relationship with God. He resoundingly echoed the convictions of Luther, claiming that music's only purpose should be to the glory of God and the recreation of the human spirit. He often would mark his manuscripts with the words, help me Jesus, or in the name of Jesus, or solo de gloria, to God alone be the glory. What's what's crazy is Bach has this amazing legacy of being super um, just prolific in his writings. He he only published 10 works when he was alive, but after his death, when the multitude of scores were finally collected and published, it had taken 46 years to do it, and they filled 60 huge volumes of his works. And the author goes on to say, all of this um, composing took place while fulfilling dozens of other tasks like working as an organist, a conductor, a music director, a private instructor. He even taught Latin to young boys, raised a large family. He fathered 20 children. So you think your life is tough with a couple kids? He had 20. I've got five daughters and um, a little women's ministry at home, and it's been amazing. And so much love and so much affection, and yet it's been, you know, a huge learning curve. I had a brother... And I thought for sure I'd have boys, and it's like, oh my gosh, I have no idea what I'm doing. And then you realize there is so many different versions of girl. Like having five, it's like a scientific research study in the female gender, and you just realize that, wow, there are, there's a lot of difference in, in, in women. So <clears throat> I'm still learning. Little side note. Anyway, D.L. Moody. He said this, um, a great preacher evangelist of a few generations back, music and song have not only accompanied all scriptural revivals, but are essential in deepening one's spiritual life. Singing does as least as much as preaching to impress the word of God upon people's minds. Ever since God first called me, the importance of praise expressed in song has grown upon me. So why did all these biblical characters and men and women of history and faith 
value music, song, and praise so much? Well, it's a simple answer, because God does, because the Bible does. So turn with me uh, to 1 Peter 2, verse 9, and we'll read this together. It says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. There's a few words in that verse that kind of would probably, you know, should stir some questions in our heart, but it's interesting that Peter's addressing New Testament believers, the church of Jesus Christ, and he's calling them a chosen generation a royal priesthood. So this would be kind of um, really kind of God's people, language of God's people, the chosen generation, generation, a royal priesthood. It would take us back to the Old Testament. You know, what, what was the role of the priest? Well, they would actually go to God for the people and speak to the people for God. And, and the priest would have the privilege of access and intimacy. So really the priesthood was a, a privileged position where they um, would be able to go and into the holy place on a daily basis to minister to the Lord. But really, one time of year, one man, a high priest, would go into the holy of holies where the Shekinah glory of God would dwell, and they would go, with, go in with a sacrifice, and that was as close as anyone would ever get. And it was one man, one time of, year, uh, of the year that they could do that. So the people were at a distance. Now, New Testament theology teaches us that it's the priesthood of every believer, that every believer has now access and intimacy to go directly to God. In other words, there's no need for a priest anymore. You don't have to go through a pastor to come to God. Now, it's wonderful to get prayed, by, prayed for by spiritual leaders that you respect and love and appreciate, but the reality is that we are called personally and individually to come boldly personally, to the throne of grace, that we might obtain mercy and grace to help in time of need. So there's only one great high priest, his name is Jesus Christ, who's a once and for all sacrifice, who entered the Holy of Holies once and for all with his own blood, sacrificed for our sin. And so now we have been privileged to have access and intimacy with the creator of heaven and earth, we have, we have this beautiful opportunity on a daily basis, minute by minute, moment by moment, to come to the Lord with our burdens, our cares. He both listens and responds. It's the privilege of every believer. So I love that part of the verse as well. He says, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That word proclaim, we could define it as like publish or to make publish or to declare. And those who are proclaiming his praises are the ones that have been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. So the picture there is when you've been saved by the grace of God, when God has taken you out of darkness and forgiven you of your sin, and all of us have been rescued by the grace of God. We never could have deserved it or earned it. He rescued us out of our own sin and shame. And he gave us grace and mercy and welcomed us into his family and just lavished his love and his kindness upon us. And when we realize that, it turns into praise. 
you can't help but praise the one who called you out of darkness into light, who forgave you of your sin, who loves you and still serves you this day by washing our feet. He still stoops to listen to us and care for us and wash our feet when we sin and we still fail at times. He condescends to our level and cares for us and forgives us. I mean, the grace of God. The grace of God is not just saving grace. It's like a daily grace. And he walks through that life with us daily to care for us and serve us still to this day. And when you realize that, our praise becomes more and more authentic and more and more just powerful because we realize what God has done for us. Amen? And I know that I'm preaching to the choir because this morning just being in, you know, around uh, you guys in this beautiful gathering, you guys are worshipers. You praise God such a, such a beautiful way. And I know the Lord's so honored by that and so blessed by that. Okay, so let's look back a few verses. Go back in 1 Peter to uh, chapter 2, verse 5. Let's read that one together. So you also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood. There's that word again. To offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So there's a lot in that verse um, there alone. And the, again, that word holy priesthood reminds us of that intimacy and access we have to God. But that phrase spiritual sacrifices is one I want to focus on this morning. Years ago when I started studying through these passages, that one of the commentators kind of drilled down on spiritual sacrifices and kind of helped helped me understand this bigger picture, this theology of worship that would come from, and this in some ways from like John chapter 4 with Jesus speaking of spirit and in truth, but also would come from this phrase spiritual sacrifices. So it kind of again points us back to the Old Testament where they would, they would sacrifice things um, in order to please God, to be able to come before God. They would have this kind of works approach to God. They'd have to do these sacrifices, do these things, to please God and to earn favor in a sense. But in New Testament theology, our worship is all a response. We respond to what God has already done. He loved us before we ever loved him. He was chasing us before we were ever chasing him. Like you might say, well, I found Jesus. Yes, but when you look back, you realize, oh no, Jesus found me. He was chasing me. You can look back at your younger years and remember maybe moments or people that God brought in your life and you remember, wow, God was like pursuing me and he's patient with me, even in failure and rejection and, ah, and just the Lord was still chasing us. And so it's this beautiful picture now because we're in God's family, we respond to that grace in worship and praise. So all of this is a loving response to what God has done. And it's good to remember that. So spiritual sacrifices, that language points us to this New Testament reality that we respond. So what are these spiritual sacrifices? Well, I want to really focus on one of them today. There's a number of them in the Bible, and I'll kind of mention those a little bit later, but they kind of round out like a theology of worship that we could kind of, you know, have as some anchor points as we think about New Testament worship. But go left in your Bible to Hebrews. We're going to pass James. Go, let's go to Hebrews chapter 13, and let's look at verse 15 together. <clears throat> Hebrews 13, verse 15. <clears throat> and the author says this, Therefore by him let us continually offer, 
the sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. So let us continually offer. So this, this um, sacrifice of praise really connects back to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, these spiritual sacrifices. So one of those spiritual sacrifices is a sacrifice of praise. In other words, God is blessed by the praise that we offer him. God counts our praise as a beautiful sacrifice. He counts it as most precious. So it's almost like the verse defines what praise is for us. Look at what he says. Um, The sacrifice of praise to God, that is, comma, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. So praise is really just this thanksgiving, um, this recounting of gratitude of what God has done for us We're going to say it, we're going to pray it, we're going to sing it. It's part of the praise that comes from our life, and God is honored by it. We could also define praise that it's speaking well of someone in their presence, Um, boasting in someone in that sense. So being a father uh, of of daughters, um, just being a father, period, brought this truth home to me. My first, our oldest daughter, Madison, when she was born, You know, you're just so in awe of this miracle of birth where two become one and you kind of see that oneness in this little little baby. So um, Madison is born and you're just in in love. I mean, you just love this little child. It's hard to put into words what that feels like until you're there and you're just like, gosh, this is incredible. I also remember being so afraid driving home from the hospital, like all of a sudden everybody driving is like horrible drivers, you know? They're all horrible. I've got a baby in the car. You know, you just feel this, you feel this weight of responsibility. Like, am I old enough to, am I wise enough? I, I have a baby, you know, Jesus help me. Um, but as, as Madison would get older and, and my girls, all of them, as they, their personality would develop, you know, you're spending time with them and caring for them, telling them how much you love them. But it is the moment when your baby your little one comes to the place where they have language. They can actually say back to you, I love you, Dad. Or I love you, Daddy. That, that's the moment where you're like, you're, you're melted. I mean, you're like wrapped around their finger. Did you want a car? <laughs> Did you want an iPad? I know you're six months. I don't know. I, I don't, it's just those, you feel that, like anything you want, you know, this deep love. And I wonder, and I'm sure that's how God feels when, when, he saves us, invites us into his family. We're his children, and we respond to the Lord with heartfelt praise. Lord, I love you. Lord, I'm thankful for you. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for caring for me. That, that simple heartfelt response to God, it blesses the heart of God. Now, if it, we're just going through the motions, it's religious activity, we're singing songs, and I'm singing these words. I've heard it a thousand times, and I'm thinking about what I'm going to eat after. So, you know, I'm just, just distracted. I'm really not engaged in praise. I'm really not engaged in saying to the Lord what I know to be true. Lord, I love you. Thank you for forgiving me and being so patient with me. Thank you for providing for me and giving me the family that you have and and how you've led me these many years and all, all those things. I mean, there's so much to recount to be thankful for. And, you know, it's a, it's a beautiful thing. So when we engage in praise... Man, it blesses God in such a special way. I'd also like to point out that praise really does cultivate a thankful heart. It's it's important that we cultivate gratitude 
in our life, right? We have to, we're so easily caught up in negativity. We can see everything through the lens of the, the cup is half empty. You know, I wish I had that. I wish I had this job and I wish I could, you know, do that. And my life kind of stinks because of this and that. You know, we look at all the negative. We can kind of get in that funk. But if we stop for a little bit and we just recount the faithfulness of God and his kindness, if we just slow down and remember how good he's been to us, we have so many things to be thankful for. So many things. And many of us have gone through difficult things in life and suffering and lost loved ones or challenging things, but there are many things we can really focus on and say, thank you, Lord, for this. Thank you for your kind presence and your grace. I mean, there's so many of those things. And that's why we give place to praise in our gatherings because we need to cultivate a heart of thanksgiving. Um, It's been said that unthankfulness is the soil in which all sin finds its roots. We start to become cynical and entitled and ungrateful and frustrated for what we don't have and forgetting what we have been blessed with. It's a challenge for me. I live in Orange County. It's busy. It's fast paced. People are, you know, trying to just make more and more money. They're affluent. And you know what? You can start to look at, well, I don't have this. I don't have that. And gosh, you know, and, and it just, you get caught in that trap of, of uh, just this black hole, this spirally black hole of, of kind of self-pity. And praise just changes my perspective. and reminds me of God's goodness and his promises that he will continue to provide and lead and care for. I mean, having five daughters, once in a while, I think about five weddings. I think about five son-in-laws. I'm like, oh, Lord, help me. And the promises of God, I have to claim to them, Lord, you have provided thus far. You will provide in the future. We're going to have a lot of backyard weddings. Remember, what was that uh, Steve Martin movie where we're talking about weddings and he's picturing in the backyard like flipping burgers and like, you know, just real simple. And it's kind of how I think. And I just relate to that. And then uh, you realize that your daughters are thinking something totally different. Anyway, so it's also interesting to note that Um, everyone actually praises. Everyone's a worshiper. God kind of created us to be worshipers. And so if they don't worship the ultimate, the the real uh, God that's worthy of worship and praise, they'll find another idol to worship. They'll find something to praise and something to follow after. And the Old Testament always warns us about idolatry, the danger of idolatry. It robs your affections. It robs your devotions, your your devotion to God. It just robs and, and places your affections in areas that are unworthy of it. Um, I think it's Psalm 115. It says, idols, they have eyes, but they don't see. They're ears, but they don't hear. Mouths, but they don't speak. It seems attractive at first, but they offer nothing. They can't help you. They have no way of helping you. It's an idol. It's a nothing. So you have misdirected um, devotion and attention. And we miss out on the worship of the true and the living God who both created you and died for you, we are twice his, amen? We're twice his. So idols are distracted. We have idols all around us. And C.S. Lewis would say this, um, you might be familiar with some of his work, Chronicles of Narnia, uh, an amazing thinker of his day. He says this about praise. He says, all enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise. In fact, the world rings with praise. Lovers praising their mistresses, readers their favorite poet, walkers praising the countryside, players praising their favorite game, praise of weather, wines, dishes, actors, motors, horses, colleges, etc. 
We're not only spontaneously, uh, we not only spontaneously praise what we value, but we instinctively urge others to join us in this praise, rhetorically asking, isn't she lovely? Wasn't it glorious? Don't you think that is magnificent? Enthusiastically imploring others to praise, to praise God is simply doing what all of us do when we enjoy and worship something. So someone might look on to on believers and kind of look at them praising God and might count it as odd or weird or even think it's foolish, but it's actually very simple. As believers, we count God as most valuable, and that is the why. We count God as the most valuable. It doesn't mean that we can't value other things or praise things that we enjoy or, or whatever, but we say, hey, God is most worthy of praise and value, and that's why we direct our affection, attention, adoration, and devotion to the one who's most worthy of it. But it's interesting, we, we see praise and worship happening around uh, in our culture all around us. It, 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 just go to your favorite sports, sporting event. You know, people go crazy. You know, they're worshiping their thing that they love and their favorite, you know, sports guy and, and it's, we, or, or band or whatever, you know, pop star. We see it everywhere. I was thinking through this and, and uh, I think a great example would be like going to a Dodgers game with jo- Josh Taylor. Like pure mayhem, I'm sure. Praising and boasting coming out of every pore of his body, especially when they win, which isn't all that common. But when they do, it's miraculous. You want to be with Josh. The last few weeks, we've been uh, talking a lot about pickleball. I don't know if you've ever heard of pickleball. I heard about it a couple, a year and a half ago from a friend who's like, hey, you want to come play some pickleball with us? I'm like, pickleball? I'm like, yeah, it's Amazing. And I, I played tennis growing up and I enjoyed it. And uh, so I'm like, yeah, I'll come out and play and come to find out it is so much fun. Like I start talking about pickleball, you'll get me going. I mean, I, I will find myself praising the glories of pickleball. And at the end of the day, it has nothing to do with pickles. It's just a ball and a racket or whatever, you know, it's, but it's so much fun. And it's, it's this competitive thing, but it's also very social. You meet people. I think I've met like 100 people over the last year playing, playing pickleball. It's the fastest growing sport the last five years in America, by the way. Anyway, um, it's making its way towards the Olympics, just, just to, be, to be aware of that. But talking with Josh, and he's talking a big game. He's like, oh, man, when you come out, I'm just going to smash you in pickleball. I'm like, oh, okay, all right. So we're talking trash a little bit back, back and forth. I'm like, bro, you better... We better stretch out and get ready because we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna play. So on Friday, we actually played, and I, I, I beat him really bad, and um, it was great. It was amazing. Just kind of humbled him a little bit. And, but, you know, he's going to come out. He's wearing these short shorts and donning his extra white legs and trying to just, like, intimidate me in this way, and it was, just didn't work. I just had to kind of put him in his place as a younger man and know where, know where he sits. But So anyways... You know, we praise what we love, right? Um, one of the funny examples for me was my, my second daughter, Riley. She's just, uh, she's so precious and she, she loves music. She's always been like a jukebox. She could just, whatever song comes on the radio, she knows the words. And I'm in the car like, how do you know this song? You're like 12, where did you hear this? And, you know, whatever, I, she would find out about it. But back in the day when, when she was younger, um, she had some friends that we didn't know real well, and she's getting to know them, and they're going to the One Direction concert at this local um, place called The Pond, like, and they had a ticket for her. Dad, can I go to One Direction with our friends? I'm like, I don't know. One Direction's boy band, really popular back in the day, Harry Styles. Anyway, how do I know that? I have daughters. Um, so 
So anyway, they were invited. And I go, you know, honey, I, I don't really know your friends. I don't really know One Direction. I don't know much about this. I'm not really comfortable, you know, at your age and stage to, to go um, with them. So it's kind of a no. But if by chance we could get tickets and find tickets, I'll, I'll go with you. You know, we'll go together. And, and as those words came out of my mouth, I was like trying to take them back. <laughs> and sure enough, a couple days later, a friend of mine said, hey, actually, I have a couple extra tickets for One Direction. I'm like, oh, Lord. And then, um, and then uh, I told Riley, and she was super excited, and we ended up going to this concert. It was actually so much fun to go with her until you get there, and it's 10,000 screaming girls for literally two hours. And it's so loud. It's literal audio torture. I don't know if you've ever been in an auditorium when 10,000 girls are screaming. And it's, it's absolutely impossible. I'm looking around like, I feel actually nauseous. I don't think I can make it through another five minutes. And I see this dad sitting there and he's just lounging and relaxing. And I'm like, how are you doing? And then he points to his earplugs. I'm like, oh. I'm like, do you have any more earplugs? He's like, I'm like, I'll pay whatever. Give me those. No. And so once I put the earplugs in, I'm like, oh, this is great. You know? But there is a frequency that happens in that room that it was deafening and it didn't matter. It was through the songs. It was between the songs. It was the entire time screaming of these, you know, these teenage girls. And, and so at the very end of the concert, One Direction runs off the stage. They get in their bus. They're driving out from underground and taking off, and girls are flooding out uh, this, you know, stadium, and they're running down the road chasing, chasing this bus. It was like Beatlemania. I had never seen it before. It was, it was crazy. But you just get this picture. I mean, there, it was almost like hysteria, but they're praising what they love. And, you know, there's an element of worship there that's actually unhealthy, but they were praising, you know, what they love. And um, we see that again, in our culture. We, we just praise what we love. We praise what we value. And we count things that are praiseworthy. We go, this is praiseworthy. And we talk about it. It comes out of, our, out of our heart and out of our life. So as a Christian, the most praiseworthy thing to talk about is, is Jesus. It's like, he's the one that's most worthy of our praise. And he's the one that has changed our life. And so it comes out of us. We share that with others. We proclaim his praises. And we don't have to sing the praise. We talk about it. We praise God in our speech, and we're talking about what he's done in our life, and it's this natural overflow. So, so really evangelism, sharing with other people is just, man, this is what God's done in my life, and it's, it's amazing. And we can share that truth with others, and it just becomes, in a sense, evangelistic because of what we praise. So we, we praise what we love, we praise what we value, and when you've been forgiven and saved by Jesus, it's a natural response. It just overflows. Okay, so a few things about praise. We see this in um, verse 15. He says, therefore by him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise. That's why we always facilitate that in our gatherings. Psalms 34, David said, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. So it's a big part of why our spiritual rhythms, why we, we facilitate that because it's really valuable to us to cultivate a grateful heart. It's valuable to God. It blesses him when he sees his people just responding to the grace that he's shown them. So praise, it goes without saying, is a huge part of our prayer life. A praise doesn't have to be sung, like I just said. It, it, can, be, it can be prayed. Um, you think of uh, the Lord's Prayer, our Father which art in heaven, 
hallowed be thy name, or praise be to thy name. And at the very end of the prayer, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. It would be interesting to, to just incorporate that, incorporate that in our regular prayer life at home or when you're alone. And always, you know, start with praise. It's a good place to start. Thank you, Lord, for this. Thank you for this. Thank you for what you've done. And, and just kind of recounting, letting our soul recount God's goodness and his blessings. And it kind of sets our heart right for the rest of what we pray for. Um, also, praise must be voluntary. It must be, for it to be authentic, it has to be voluntary. It can be encouraged. We can encourage the churches we gather together, hey, let's praise the Lord. But no one can really force you to praise God. I, a really true praise has to be authentic. And when I was a young uh, pastor and, and first in ministry, and 27 years ago, I was, I was leading worship for junior high kids and teaching the Bible to them. And we'd have like a 745 service. There's like three junior high kids and, and they're, you know, they're nervous and awkward and, and you're going to lead them in worship. And there's no way they're singing anything. They're just too you know, self-conscious about singing in front of their friends. And, you know, as a young, passionate Bible college student, I'm like exhorting them and, you know, we're singing to Jesus. You know, it's like, come on, what's wrong with you? You know, call it like stick them up worship. What's wrong with you? Sing to Jesus, you know. And it doesn't work. It's not, it's pointless. It's like, you know what? Scott would, I mean, the Lord would say, Scott, just love them. Just model it for them. The life of might go on years, years from now, but just love Jesus, love them, model it for them. And it, it, it'll make sense at some point for them. But praise has to be voluntary, has to be authentic. And so, again, I, I love how Ian leads. He just facilitates a beautiful environment where we, we can respond to the Lord in praise. And he has such a great uh, worship ministry um, here at, at Calvary. It's so beautiful. Okay, so um, <clears throat> one of the main things about praise that I love is praise facilitates encounter. Praise facilitates encounter. So um, what do we mean by that? Well, there's a few promises in the Bible that are super significant. Um, one of those is that when we draw near to God, James would say in James 4, that he draws near to us. There's that other passage where Jesus would say, where two or more are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. So there's a lot more here this morning than two or three, but you can have that same beautiful opportunity when we're gathered in a small home fellowship or group or lunch, you know, work lunch break with other believers. But there's this promise of God's presence. So when we praise the Lord together, we encounter God in unique ways that maybe don't always happen when we're alone. There's something about the importance of being together where all these different gifts are represented in the body of Christ. We've got a few, there's sometimes public gifts of teaching or, you know, or, or evangelism or, or worship that might be platformed. But here in the body of Christ, man, you guys all have unique gifts that God has just invested in you. And you have, some of you have the gift of mercy and the gift of hospitality, the, the words of wisdom for a word in season that, that the person next to you might need to hear. So when we come together, there's this promise of God's presence. It, it reminds me back of that verse in, in 1 Peter 2, where it says we're, we're living stones built into a spiritual house. So when we're all gathered together, it's like we're the house of God. It's not a building. It's not a location. It's the people of God coming together to honor the presence of God. And it just facilitates this beautiful ministry that happens when we're together. 
So when we gather, maybe you're going through a difficult time and someone just asks how you're doing and they have a word for you or an encouragement or they just, they're praying for you and through that prayer, the Lord's speaking to you. There's something beautiful that happens as we gather. Praise facilitates encounter. I love that. Acts 13 also points to that. It says, as they ministered to the Lord, they're in Antioch, these leaders, Saul, who would be called Paul and Barnabas and other leaders there in Antioch would gather, they would minister to the Lord. And it says, as they ministered to the Lord, the Holy Spirit said, separate to me, Paul and Barnabas, for the work which I've called for them to do. So the picture there is like in the midst of this like gathering, God's working and speaking and leading. And um, there's something special about that. I love what Matt Redmond uh, says. He's a great worship leader, songwriter. He says, when we come together, it's the people of God singing the praises of God in the presence of God. And the Holy Spirit's just actively working in that environment. That's why it's so important for us to gather. Um, sometimes when we least want to gather, you're tired or discouraged. You're like, ah, oh, I don't feel like singing right now. I'm tired. You know, we all feel that when you come into a gathering. It's almost in those moments we need it even more. Like, you know, that's when I need to be there. I need to hear God's word. I need to receive from the Lord. I need to lift my voice and let my ears hear what my mouth is saying coming from my heart that's been redeemed by the Lord. So it's also been said that praise is a powerful weapon against the enemy. Um, someone once said that Satan is allergic to praise. So that wherever there's triumphant praise, Satan is paralyzed, bound, and banished. Do you ever wonder why when you're headed to like church and gathering, why there's all this warfare that kind of happens. It feels like you get in a fight with your wife or your husband or, or just something with the kids or all hell breaks loose when you're heading in that direction. Like Satan hates it. He hates it. We have an enemy that hates it um, when the people of God gather together. So you can imagine, you know, leaders like Pastor Ed and, and Ian through the week, you can imagine the spiritual battle they go through because the enemy hates that. But they, they, you know, by the grace of God, they push through it, and the Lord uses them to encourage the church and build each other up, and we do that together. And Satan is kind of paralyzed. He can't, um, can't have his way in that way. So one of the, a famous missionary, well, a missionary to China, said, in the midst of all the demonic activity and pressure in my life, I had one little way to function. I would sing the doxology and dismiss the devil. Another man said, praise brings the consciousness of the presence of God and all that accompanies it. All the liars from the pits of hell cannot market their wares in an atmosphere of praise and worship. I love that. There's some biblical examples of that. We don't have time to dive in um, quite yet. But uh, lastly, I want to say that praise resets our focus and aligns our perspective gives us the, the right perspective when we come together and we're praising the Lord. I love that. It was one of the beautiful things about, about uh, praise and, and songs and music as well. Um, you kind of find that songs become kind of a soundtrack of your spiritual journey. Have you noticed that? There's like certain songs that, you know, maybe when you first got saved or, you know, the Lord was doing a specific work in your life where this song or a group of songs uh, ministered to you. I have those for me. I remember when I was first a worship leader, kind of more uh, worship pastor, kind of heading into this season at Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa in 2000, it's transitioning with a guy and coming into a multi-generational, a multi-ethnic church that had a history of songs and hymns and, 
and spiritual songs that they had been singing in their life that were meaningful to them. And then I had those in my life and I wanted to sing those songs. And, but then I quickly learned that I needed to respect the history of what God did. Because sometimes you're like, as a young guy, like, oh, we got to do the new stuff and the new things. And, and he makes all things new. Let's move forward, you know. And yet there's some truth to that. But there's also beauty in looking back and remembering what God did in the past and honoring that. And then um, and just it's serving people in that way where, man, we, we'd sing certain hymns or sing songs like, As the Deer Pants for the Water. And it would just meet a certain generation where, man, that song just met them because that was part of their a spiritual journey. Songs have beautiful ways of hiding God's word in our heart. So we're singing truth into our soul. And you think about that even with um, like Alzheimer's patients and, and those that have dementia, they can forget names and family members. And we've done some ministry in retirement homes and we'll sing some hymns and all of a sudden all the lyrics come back. They know all the words. They know the tune. It's this interesting phenomenon that somehow music kind of weaves its way into the deep part of the soul of our soul that we can remember things that, um, you know, are just unique to that. In fact, sometimes our hard drive is kind of filled with meaningless songs. Like I think of the jingles back in the day that, you know, these commercials would have growing up and like there's meaning, meaningless, but they're stuck in my head um, and forever will probably be there and they know what they're doing. Music... Um, it's powerful in that way. But music set to good theology, to good, good melody, man, has a way of really hiding God's word in our hearts. So Luther realized that. Other songwriters have realized that. They try to write songs that have content and value um, that will uh, bring God's truth back to our memory as we go, out, go through our day-to-day in our lives. So one of the things I love about singing is that it stirs our affections for Christ. Just like you do, just like marriage, I've been married for a period of time. I've been married for 27 years and adore my wife. She's such a blessing. Um, but you know, over time you realize that those feelings, those overwhelming romantic feelings, you don't live off of those. They kind of come and go. They're a blessing, but they're not always there. Sometimes you wake up and you feel nothing for anybody. You know, you just in a funk. And, and so with marriage, you realize you're, you're choosing to love and choosing to serve, and then those affections will follow. But you try to do things in marriage that stir affections for each other. You have a date night. You go on little getaways. You do things that kind of maintenance the marriage to stir affections for each other. And just a little side note, if you don't do that, you should. Spend time dating each other. Just enjoy each other's company. Remember why you started in the first place. It's a key to a, to a healthy marriage, just investing in time together. It's an it's a investment that pays dividends, even though you times don't feel it or, you know, I don't have the budget for that. Well, go to, go to coffee for five bucks or whatever. Go, you know, this, you can do stuff that together, go for a walk and, and uh, enjoy each other's company. It's a great way. So singing as we gather together, it stirs our affections for Christ. And that's important. Some days you don't feel anything like, God, you still love me or you still for me. Do you still remember me? You know, because you don't feel. Um, and that's okay. But we have to do things that stir affections for Christ and remind us. And singing is a beautiful part of that. Lastly, <laughs> preachers are, con- are notorious. Lastly, and then seven more points. Um, Singing helps us express our unity in the gospel. Worship and singing and praise is a great unifier. 
We can have, we can all believe that, you know, we obviously have the core beliefs, uh, foundational, fundamental things that we all agree upon and must agree upon, but there's secondary things. Maybe we have different perspectives. We think of different denominations that have different emphasis and different expressions, and, um, and that's okay. But, but worship has an ability to like unify together where it's like, hey, we're going to be in eternity together. You're my brother and my sister in Christ, and you might be a little bit different from what I've grown up with, but man, um, it's beautiful. Over the years, traveling overseas and doing missions and ministry in different parts of the world, it is so wonderful the moment you gather together and you're worshiping the Lord together, like, oh man, we are part of the same family. Like you have instant friendships because of that reality. I love that piece, that part of worship. It's a great unifier. Um, so Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15, a sacrifice of praise. Just real quickly, the, second, the next verse, look at verse 16. Let's read it together. Um, but do not forget to do good and to share for with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. So just a little, little seed to throw out there again. Um, sacrifice of praise, but there's a sacrifice of doing good and sharing. The word share is actually the word koinonia. It's this Greek word that is basically a picture of like um, fellowship centered around Christ, where we give of our time, our attention, our talents, we care for people. So we gather together, we facilitate this koinonia and God is blessed by that. He counts that as like a beautiful sacrifice. When we care for each other and we do good to each other, we serve each other, man, it's an act of worship to the Lord. So that's my little, you know, seed in there to, uh, to think about when we think about the big picture of what worship is. There's a number of other ones. I think Philippians 4 talks about a sacrifice of giving where Paul said, oh, your generosity was like a sweet sacrifice to God. Paul would say in Ephesians, to walk in love, it's a sweet sacrifice and aroma to the Lord. So walking in love for the world around us is a part of our worship. Romans 12, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. It's this sacrifice of surrender. So that would give us a full picture of what it looks like to be a worshiper of God responding to that. So this morning, just as we've talked about praise and, and um, Ian has led us and the team has led us in such a sweet time of praise, we're going to wrap up with another, another song to close out. And let's just take advantage of this moment that we have. Maybe just take some time and recount. You, you can sing the words that we're going to sing together, which is beautiful, and say those words and pray those words. But let's take a moment and recount God's goodness and remember how faithful he's been to you. Like the psalmist would say, Psalm 103, bless the Lord, oh my soul, all that's within me, bless his name. And he recounts all of his goodness and his kindness. So this is our opportunity today. You've come to gather. And one of the things I think if we could take away time uh, today that uh, a good takeaway is just let's cultivate a heart of gratitude and thankfulness. And just see that, how that kind of changes your perspective. So in this last closing song, let's just do that. Lord, thank you for what you've done and thank you for your kindness and your faithfulness. Um, amen. Amen. Hey, let's stand together. We're going to pray that in. If you need prayer uh, today for anything, uh, you're going through something difficult and you have a, a need, please come forward and, and get some prayer from, from the pastors. They're, they're here for you just to care for you, encourage you. If you're here today, you don't know Jesus. You've never really bowed the knee in worship to the one who's most worthy of your affection and devotion. If you've never come to that place, man, today is the day. He loves you with an everlasting love. And it's an opportunity to come forward and say, I, I want Jesus. I need Jesus. I want to worship the living God. 
It's time. Today's your day. So this is your opportunity. But church, as a family, um, let's respond uh, to the Lord in praise today, just remembering his goodness and kindness. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you today for your kindness and your love, Lord, your grace, and you're so patient with us. You've blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Lord, all the promises that we have in the Bible that remind us that you are with us, that you're for us, that you're thinking good thoughts towards us. Lord, thank you for that today. Lord, thank you for our families. Lord, thank you for this church family. Lord, thank you for loving us. We praise you, Lord, today. We honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Church. For prayer, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. To listen to this message in its entirety or to join us for our live stream services, visit us online at calvaryco.church or download our free Calvary Church app. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.